It's root beer, don't worry. Well, my, my name is Matt. I'm so glad you guys are here today. Um, if you're visiting with us for the first time, I'm, I'm really glad that you're here with us, and I'd like to get the chance to shake your hand if, if possible. I'll actually be in the lobby after the service, and uh, I'll be hanging out there to, to hang out with any of you if you want. Or not. You can just ignore me on the way out. That's true. Either way. Either way. You know, I'd also like to welcome people who are watching online. For those of you who are watching online, we, we know that people watch a sermon or two before they come and check us out in person. And so I want to invite you to come and check us out in person. Uh, I look forward to meeting you uh, one day soon, one day soon. You know, today's Father's Day, right? Today's Father's Day. Now, I don't know about you, when I was growing up, I'd always ask my dad, hey, what do you want? What are you doing for Father's Day? And he says, I have everything that I need. How many dads, that's your response? I got everything I need. I got everything you need. I, I learned a couple things, though, because now I say that. You know, I've got everything that I need. I got everything I need. That's actually code word for don't spend any more money. <laughs> I will drink out of that mug that you made in first grade. You know, the lopsided handle. You know why? Because it's free. That's why. Because I'll drink it there. You know, I, you know what's interesting is, is Father's Day and Mother's Day have very different responses, don't they? Globally, when you look at the global holidays around the world, you know Mother's Day is number two most celebrated holiday? That's right. Only man. The only thing bigger and better than, than moms was Jesus. It's Christmas is number one. So it's Christmas in a very narrow margin. Moms and Mother's Day is number two. But you know, I, it's Jesus and then your mama, right? It's Jesus and then your mama. That's, that's, how, that's how life goes. You know, I, but I watched my wife give birth. She's a superhero and she deserves everything that she gets on Mother's Day. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy. And superheroes got nothing on mama, right? They got nothing. I think, if, you know, the only thing that's, wor- that's like maybe one of the compares to giving childbirth is the man cold. If you guys, every man's like, I understand, I've had the man cold. I know what that is. It's like the worst disease on earth. So where is Father's Day? It's ranked number 20. Father's Day is the 20th ranked holiday. Flag Day is number 18. Arbor Day is in the middle of it. What is an arbor anyway? I'm just kidding. We have a day for arboring. We have an arbor day. We have flag day. We, we have tie day, like necktie day. Like that's before Father's Day. Columbus Day. Colum- I mean, okay, the dude sails on, loses direction, doesn't know where he's going, doesn't ask for directions, and lands on, a, on something. He calls it the wrong thing, and we got a day for that guy. Listen, I get lost all the time, and I refuse to ask directions. I'm just saying, like I, he did it once. I do it all the time. I don't know. So who has a Father's Day sale, right? There's always Mother's Day sale everywhere. Where are the Father's Day sale at, right? That's what I'm saying. I think it's at Cabela's. Yeah. That place will break me. That place will break me. I, I walk in for like, you know, some more pellets for my wood smoker. Um, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I can see like the sale on ammo. And then I can see the fishing gear and the tents. And then pretty soon it's like, um, you know, max out the credit card. And I'm just kidding. I, I, no. Father's Day. It's kind of funny. You know, it's actually interesting that, that uh, in our society, it seems like Father's Day doesn't get as much respect as Mother's Day. And so we want to say thank you at City Church. We want to say thank you to all the fathers. Um, you guys are heroes in the household. You are absolutely needed. Um, we absolutely love fathers. That's right. In fact, we love fathers so much that we got a whole bunch of these dad's root beer, and we're going to be giving away uh, root beer floats after service. Uh, for everybody, even the moms can have a root beer float. Yes, yeah, so we have root, root beer float after service. You know, it'd be a fun time to hang out and just uh, eat, get a lot of sugar in your body, right? Get amped up. Yeah, send the kids home. Yay. <laughs> so dad jokes are pretty popular, right? Dad jokes. You know, what do you call a canine in a blizzard? 
A chili dog? I know, yeah. Yeah, it only gets better. I'm... Why do pirates believe in themselves? Because they know who they are. Yeah. I got, I got a whole list. Should we keep going? Okay, we're going. All right. So what do cats eat for breakfast? Mice Krispies. Yeah. All right, all right. And all right, last one, that's, that's the last one. What do, you, what do you call an ambitious vegetable? An ambitious vegetable. Hustle sprouts. That's right. Get some hustle. Man, nothing of that, that has anything to do with my sermon today, too, by the way. I just thought it's Father's Day. We're going to do something and laugh a little. Because I think it's good to laugh in church, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's good. You know, I think, I think Jesus was a really fun guy to be around because everywhere he went, he had crowds gathering around him. Even the people who were sinners and the people who were in the rough and tumble lifestyle wanted Jesus around because I think that he was encouraging and, and edifying and, and it was a breath of fresh air to be around Jesus. And so I think that as we, as followers of Christ, and, and today, if you're not a follower of Christ and you're here today, that's okay. I'm glad that you're here and checking it out. Um, but as a follower of Christ, we should be a breath a fresh a breath of fresh air for those who are around us, shouldn't we? We should be carrying the same spirit, the Holy Spirit of God with us everywhere that we go. And so I really think we should laugh in church and have a great time, uh, and as well as study the God's word and worship, and it's just a great, great day to be in church. So I'm going to start today with a story. It was a stormy night, and an elderly couple entered the lobby of a small hotel and asked for a room. And the clerk said, we're all filled up but it's, I can't send you out there. It's raining. It's storming. I can't send you out onto the streets. I know all the hotels in town are booked. There's this conference going on, and, and, and I'm sorry, but you know what? I got a room for you. Here, watch. Come on over here, and he showed him to, to his personal residence inside of the hotel, and he brought him in there, and he set up his little guest bedroom area, and he just absolutely insisted that they stay in his guest bedroom area inside of his residence on site. And you know, the elderly couple was like, well, I don't know if I can, I'm not sure, you know, this really feels like I'm imposing. And the guy says, I absolutely insist that you stay here tonight. So the next morning, when the man paid his bill, he said, you're the kind of man who should be managing the best hotel in this country, in the United States. Someday I'm going to build you one. I'm going to build you the best hotel in this country, and you're going to manage it. And you know, the clerk, he smiled politely. Sounds great, sir. <laughs> Whatever, Right. The guy leaves, he walks out. So a few years later, the clerk received a letter from the elderly man recalling the stormy night and asking him to come to New York. And a round-trip airline ticket was enclosed. And when the clerk arrived, the host took him to the corner of 5th Avenue and 34th Street, where stood a magnificent brand-new building. That, the man explained, is a hotel that I have built for you to manage. The man was William Waldorf Astor, and the hotel was the original Waldorf Astoria. The young clerk... George C. Bolt became its first manager. This morning, I want to talk to you about being faithful in the little things and how when you're faithful in the things that you've been assigned to today, God opens doors for you to have faithfulness in other areas. It's a biblical principle all through the Bible, the concept of being faithful in little, which leads to being faithful in much. You know, there was a, there was a lady who invented this product. She was a secretary. <clears throat> Her name is Bette Neesmith. She had a secretarial job, and she was typing on typewriters. This is a while ago you know, typewriters, right? And, and, and she realized that she got tired of having to start over on papers every time she made a mistake. And so she thought, well, how can I make something to help cover up the mistake that I could then type over it? And so she 
kept working on this little formula in her kitchen, just kind of mixing and matching. And, and she got this white substance, and, and she was painting it onto the paper uh, to be able to block out the, the, the stuff underneath so they could type again over it. All you young people are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Everyone here who is a parent, you're like, I know what whiteout is, Matt. I know what whiteout is. <laughs> I got to explain it for the youngsters. Got to explain it for the youngsters. So she took this idea that she had and this formula that she had and took it to all the major companies that she could find saying, hey, will you buy this? Will you become a partner with me? Will you buy into this? I need the leverage of your company to help get the word out about how great this is. And so they're doing this whiteout thing in her office and all the secretaries are using it there. And then other offices hear about it and they're passing it around and and everybody's doing it. Nobody would sign up to invest in her company to be able to get it off the ground. So her and her secretary friends on the nights and the weekends would cook up big batches of this stuff. I'm just assuming it's like this when you're making white out. And so they're, they're stirring big batches of this stuff, you know, and, and, and they're making this, this, this stuff and they're bottling it and they're, they're putting labels on it and they're starting to sell it on the street. And, and one thing led to another. And uh, eventually when Bette Neesmith eventually sold the enterprise, the tiny white bottles, she sold $38 million a year in white out bottles with a profit of at least 10%. So she was making between three and $4 million a year selling whiteout back when typewriters were the thing. So that was a while ago. And so she would stuck with it though. Listen, when God puts a dream in your heart, when he calls you to something, sometimes it's small and he seems insignificant. But when you're faithful in little, he graduates you up to be faithful in much. And so sometimes we get distracted, don't we? Sometimes we get discouraged. Sometimes there's fear that holds us back from things. Listen, my hope today is that you will be encouraged to be able to hold on to the promises that God has given you, to be faithful in the little, because he will make you faithful in much. So the Bible has a lot to say about this, but we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 3, the book of Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, if you have your Bibles with you. If you don't bring your Bibles, we got it up here on the screen. Look at that. The screen is faster than you on your Bible. We take all types of Bibles. It can be paper. It can be electronic. We're good either way. Good either way. So we're in this series as you're turning. We're in this series called Jesus is Greater Than. And all through the book of Hebrews, we see this pattern over and over and over and over again about how Jesus is greater than these different things. He's greater than, well, the first week was angels, and then last week we talked, went through chapter 2 and talked about the drift that happens inside of our lives and how Jesus is greater than the drift that wants to pull us out of, out of the way. We, we all struggle with the drift from time to time. Today, I want to talk to you about Jesus is greater than Moses, and Moses was known as a faithful servant. So here we are, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Therefore, holy brothers, who you... <clears throat> therefore, ah, my throat. There we go, a little better. Yeah. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Therefore. Hmm. Last week we talked about therefore, didn't we? Whenever it says therefore, you got to ask what it's there for. It's a transition word that connects what was previous to what is coming, saying that these things are related. So at the end of chapter 2, we're going to back up and look a little bit in chapter 2. At the end of chapter 2, we're left with this picture that Jesus is our heavenly high priest. So since this is true, it teaches something about who we are. If Jesus is the high priest, you see, understanding who we are in light of who Jesus is, and then what he did is essential for a healthy Christian life. See, understanding who we are helps us to battle discouragement when we know our identity. 
When you know who you are and whose you are, all of a sudden it gives you a greater purpose in life. When you start to battle discouragement in your life, you've got to remind yourself. You've got to preach to yourself. You can, you're all a preacher. Stand in your bathroom in the mirror and just preach to yourself in the mirror and say, listen, I, I know who I am because I know who my creator is, and he's the one that created me. And so you've got to be able to preach to yourself and say, I know who I am, and that matters. You see, happiness, joy, and satisfaction are all related, but they're not the same. In this world, they tell us to pursue happiness, don't they? Well, I'm going to get a divorce because I'm not happy anymore. I'm going to quit my job because I'm not happy anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to change gears because my happiness is now all of a sudden I'm not happy anymore. Listen, if you pursue happiness, you will always be chasing it. You'll, you'll never quite get what you're looking for. Because here's the thing, the world disguises it as happiness. And so you chase happiness over and over and over again. But really what you're looking for is satisfaction. You're looking for purpose. You see, when you have satisfaction and purpose in your life, you start to realize that your happiness starts to tie to that. Think about this, right? When my kid gets up in the middle of the night, he's crying with a nightmare, that doesn't make me happy. But because I know my purpose as a father then I know that me getting up and consoling my daughter and helping her go back to sleep again, which is a discomfort on my part, I understand that I'm building, there's a purpose involved. That doesn't make me unhappy, but it isn't pursuing happiness. If we only pursue happiness in our life, you're never going to get to the great things that are there. Happiness is fleeting. It's just, it's, a, it's just in and out. You can't really quite get your hands on it. You've got to tie yourself to a purpose and to a calling that God has put on your life. And when you tie yourself to that purpose and calling, joy of the Lord comes into your life and the happiness soon will follow. When you pursue the right things, when you seek first, like Amber was saying, when you seek first, you get the right things coming in the right order. So share in, your, in a heavenly calling, right? Those who, who you share in a heavenly calling, calling because Jesus is committed to bring many sons to glory. We are partners in his heavenly calling. See, the call of God has not changed. There is a heavenly purpose to to what Jesus did on earth. He came down to earth to bridge the gap so that man could be back reunited with God in relationship again. That purpose has not changed. And every single one of us are on the same purpose. That's why we write things on the walls around here that says, live like Jesus and share his love. Because if we can get on purpose with Jesus, just like Jesus had a purpose on this earth, if we can get into that same purposes that he has, listen, I'm telling you, there's a satisfaction that comes along with that. So verse number two, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in God's house. Who was faithful? Listen, Jesus has been faithful. He's been faithful from the beginning. And if he's been faithful, faithful from the beginning and he's been faithful in your past, he can be faithful in your future. Sometimes you've got to remind yourself of the good things God's done in your life in the past, especially in stormy seasons. When you start to feel like there's, there's a mix-up, when you start to feel like you're getting tossed around by the waves of life, you've got to remind yourself. Preach in the mirror again if you need to and say, no, I remember when God did this for me. I remember when God did that for me. Remember the things of the past that, that God got you through. It says, as Moses also was faithful, Moses showed amazing faithfulness in his ministry. But Jesus showed perfect faithfulness, surpassing even that of Moses. And this is why Jesus is greater than Moses matters. You see, back in the day, they considered Moses to be one of their icon heroes of the Bible. They considered him to be like the pinnacle of of human perfection. But yet Jesus is greater than, than Moses. And it mattered to them then, and it matters to us now. You see, for Jesus had been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, 
as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. And see, this is why we say everything comes from heaven. Everything comes from God. Even the inventions that a man built along the way, well, God built the man who built the invention. And so everything comes from God and is from God and for God. And so it says here, as, as much more, more glory as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. You see, Moses was a member of the household of God, but Jesus is the creator of that house, and he's worthy of greater glory. The ancient rabbis considered Moses to be the greatest man ever. So the writer to the Hebrews says nothing to criticize Moses, but he looks at Moses in his proper relation to Jesus. So he doesn't tear him down. He just says, no, you're right. Yeah, Moses may be one of the greatest men to ever live, but Jesus is even better. Jesus is even greater. And so verse number five, now Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. It says there that Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. So Moses was faithful as a servant, Jesus faithful as a son. Hmm. It's interesting. Jesus is greater than Moses. You see, and when we are in his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope, See, the writer, is encouraging who, <clears throat> the writer is encouraging who felt like turning back, helping them to hold fast by explaining the benefits of continuing with Jesus. Have you ever felt like walking away from Jesus before? No hands, no hands, no. No judgment, no looking. But if you're honest with yourself, if you're honest with yourself, we've all had those thoughts that come into our head and say, is this Jesus thing even worth it? We've had moments. We've had moments at times where we've had a little bit of doubt, a little bit of self-doubt. Doubt isn't bad, by the way. Doubt and, and struggling with doubt. Sometimes people will condemn people with, with doubt. And I'm telling you, doubt isn't bad. Doubt is a tool. You see, you can doubt is something that should drive you into discovering the answer to your question that's in your mind. So when you, when you doubt something in your faith, that using that doubt, you should take that doubt and apply it towards the, the Scripture and say, well, what does the Bible actually say about this? Because I want you to be secure in your faith. And when you have doubt, drive into the scripture and see what does God actually say about this. Ask God to show you what it might be. And I tell you, he's faithful to do that. He's faithful to do that. See, true commitment to Jesus is demonstrated over the long term, not just an initial burst. In Philippians 1.6, it says that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2 says, being built up a spiritual house. He's building you like a spiritual house. God has a work to build through his people, even like somebody might build a house. So as we look at this scripture, I actually have three things that I wanted to pull out of it. And the first one is this, is, is your identity a servant or a son? Is your identity based as a servant of God or a son of God? You see, the scripture talks about how we have been adopted in to the family of God. So now we have been given sonship with, with God. And so are you a servant or are you a son? You know, when I was growing up, I thought I always wanted to be somebody. But now I see I should have been a little more specific. <laughs> have you ever had those aspiring dreams 
Listen, I want you to find your identity as a son, not as a servant. And, and let me explain this to you. In all over the scripture, it says this, but in Galatians 4, it says, no longer slaves or servants, but now we are sons of God. So if you're a servant in somebody's house, I know servants in houses is a little foreign concept to us. You can almost think of it as an employee versus a business owner, if you, if you need to use that analogy to wrap around. But servants and sons were the, were the, uh, the, the equivalent back then. Servants. servants work and earn right standing before the master. The right standing before the master is given based on the quality of work that the servant does. So if the servant does a good enough job, then they have good standing. If the servant does a poor job, they have bad standing. You see, the quality of work determines acceptance. Servants and employees, they work for wages. They actually clock in and clock out. At 8 o'clock, they clock in and they go to work. At 5 o'clock, they clock out and they leave it at work and they walk away. And some of you have jobs like that where you're able to do that. You show up, you clock in, you get your work done. And when you clock out, there's nothing hanging over your head. You know, some, some of you have jobs where it's like one of those consuming type jobs where it's 24-7 and, and it's hard to clock out from those things. But that I'm, it's one of those types of things where the servant gets to clock out at the end of the day and walk away. It's a whole like, hey, it looks good for my house kind of thing. You know, like it's, it, 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 you get to be able to check out just a little bit. The servant gives out of obligation. Well, you're paying me to do this, so I'm going to go ahead and give of my time and my talent uh, into this area because you're paying me. But the second you stop paying me, the second I start doing it. That's a servant. It's interesting that people will approach their relationship with God this way. I've been guilty of it in my past. Maybe some of you have too. If I can just pray this many hours a day, then God will look more favorably upon me. If I can give away this much money, if I can feed that many homeless people, if I can do this, if I can do that, if I can do, do, do this, this, and this, if I can get everything lined up, then God will approve of me and then he will look favorably upon me. So many Christians get trapped in this cycle. They get trapped there. They, they don't know how to get out of it. They, they get this thing and their mentality is that of a servant. Listen, if you're there today, I, today I want you to understand that a shift can happen in the way that you approach your relationship with God because he, he is not calling you his servant. He's calling you his son. You see, sons are different than servants. Sons, they have a seat at the table. Not because of what they did, because of whose they are. Because of whose they are. They know who their daddy is, and that's why they have a seat at the table. They love to work alongside the father. They're building the family business. You see, the son, although he is maybe not the owner today of that, that business, but he understands that the work he's putting in today is building the business of the day when he will soon take over for his father. So he's not building for the wages today. He's building for the legacy tomorrow. As, as believers and as, as followers of Christ, our motivation with our relationship with God is not what can we get back from him right now. Our motivation is we are building the kingdom of God right here in Albuquerque. We do this 4ABQ thing because we believe that we're for our city and that God is for our city. And so as we are the hands and feet of Jesus, as we walk around, as we're living like Jesus and sharing his love and going all over the place, listen, we're not building for an immediate kickback. We're building the kingdom of God. And we may not even see it in our generation, the results of what we've done today. But generations after us will see the results that we've done today. We're not investing for today. We're investing for tomorrow. Sons treat it differently than servants. Building the business, building the house of God, building the kingdom of God. You see, you're an owner in this Christian life. 
It's an all-in mentality when you're a son. I mean, what else are you going to do? You could be a servant to somebody else in somebody else's house, but why would you give up sonship with your own? They're loyal to the end. It reminds me of the parable of the prodigal son. Many of you know the story, but there were two brothers in a house. One of them liked to go party. The other one liked to stay diligently working on the house. The, 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 the older, older brother stayed working, on the house, <clears throat> stayed working on the house. He understood the sonship principle. He understood working on this thing and building this family business. The younger brother was a bit of a party animal. And, and so he's, he's going out with his friends. Well, he eventually says, I don't want to live here anymore. In fact, I don't even want to be um, as part of this. He says, I want my half of the inheritance right now. So cash me out. I understand I'm a part owner in this in the future, but cash my part out now. And the, and the party animal son goes, and he takes what was the inheritance from there, and he goes out and he blows it. He absolutely goes nuts. And so he's, he is the life of the party because he's paying the bills, and everybody's his friend. And, and so pretty soon he's, he's broke, though. He runs out of the money. He spends it all. He spends the money. And, and so he's trying to get food. Nobody will help him. It's interesting, when you're, when you're down, sometimes it's hard to find help. But listen, if you have a relationship that's why small groups around here are so important. You get to find community and relationship and connection. And when you're down on yourself or down in your life, you're able to call on a community of believers to help you. And that's why they're so critical to someone's life. And so he's out and he, he finally is eating the slop out of the tray of the pig farm because he's been working as a servant in a pig farm. He can't buy his own food. He's eating the pig's food. And he snaps to his senses and says, you know what? The servants in my father's house were better, treated better than I'm being treated. I'm going to go back home and ask my dad if he'll hire me as a servant. And so he's coming back home, and, and he's beat. He's tired. He doesn't look good. He's on his way back. And before he even gets to the back to the house, the father sees him from a distance and runs out to meet him. You've got to understand that running in those days was a disgraceful act. You didn't run unless you were desperate for something. And, 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 and it was undignified to run like that. In those, in those, so the father is running. He's running out to the sun, and, he, and, and the sun is starting to say, hey, can I just have a job here? I will, I'll muck the stalls. I'll, I'll clean whatever you want. And, and the father comes out, and, and he says, no, you're my son. And he brings him into the house, and he changes his clothes back into the son's clothes. says, we're throwing a party today. We are throwing a party today. You see, his sonship brought him right back into where he was at. You may have walked from God. You may have walked away. But listen, there's, there's, it's, if you start to come back, he runs to meet you. He runs to meet you. He never quit being a son. When you're a son, you can't quit. I can't just quit. I can't tell my dad, dad, no, you're not my dad anymore. Like that doesn't work anymore. Like it's science. You can't unson yourself, right? He never quit being a son. It's interesting. If you look in in Luke, Luke 15, when the story is being told of the prodigal son, the older brother who had done everything right, he gets really upset. He said, the older brother says this, all these years I have been serving you. See, the older brother had that servant mentality. He thought, if I do the right things, I'm going to get the right result. Listen, your relationship with God is not a formula. You are not clocking in and clocking out. Your faithfulness and your relationship with God is a relationship, not a job. So Jesus knew that he was the son of God. But after the cross, we have all become the sons and daughters of God. You see, your value is determined by the one who created you. Your value is determined by the one who created you. 
So point number two is this, is where are your eyes focused? Where is your focus? What are you looking to? Sometimes we get stuck looking at the creation and not the creator, the people in our life. We look at the people in our life and, and we get hung up on it. People that we love, like our wife and our kids and our parents and our in-laws. People we don't love, like our wife and our kids and our parents <laughs> and our in-laws. Sometimes we get so hung up on the things that are good and bad in our life that we're focused on the creation and not the creator. You get focused on the job that you don't like that much. You get focused on, on the situation that you're in. You get focused on the car that's always breaking down. You always get focused on these things. And God is saying, listen, I don't want you to be focused on that. I want you to be focused on me. Be focused on the creator. And there's good things that we get focused on. They're not all bad. I get focused on my wife because I love my wife, right? You get focused on nature. The sunsets around here are incredible, I can sit and watch the beauty of the sunset. But listen, I don't worship my wife and I don't worship the sunset. I worship God. I worship God. Although my, maybe I worship my wife a little. I don't know. Sometimes people get hung up on material things or different things where they, they look at the creation instead of the creator. Looking to creation to get what only the creator can give you always results in an addiction of some kind. Looking to the creation instead of the creator leads to an addiction of some kind. Think about it. Because when you look to the creation, it's momentary happiness. It's not real satisfaction. And so it gives you happiness for a moment, and you're happy. But then pretty soon you need a little bit more to be able to get that happiness feeling back again. And a little bit more, and a little bit more. And pretty soon you're ch chasing it down. You think, I have a little bit more money, so it allowed me to live a little bit better lifestyle or buy that thing that I really wanted. And, and you say, well, I've, if I had even a little bit more money, I could buy this other thing. And pretty soon you're chasing this thing, and you're chasing down money, and it becomes an addiction for you. That's what happens in drugs. People, people get on drugs or alcohol or substances or, or different. They get hooked on something that's an addiction. It's because they're looking to creation to fill a need in their heart that only the creator can fill. Only the creator can fill. If the band would come, we're actually going to close this morning. Point number three is this, is what is your eternal impact? What is your eternal impact? See, because God is faithful to you, it had an internal impact on your life. Jesus gave an eternal impact in your life. When God assigns a mission to your life, your faithfulness to that calling can have an eternal impact on another person's life. Moses had a great call of God in his life, and he was seen as faithful. He was seen as possibly the greatest man to ever live, and he killed a dude. Like, he straight murdered a man, and yet he's still being seen as the guy who was faithful to the call of God on his life. Now, don't go murder anybody. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that like, he made mistakes too. You've made mistakes. I've made mistakes. We've made mistakes. Listen, that, that might knock you back just a little bit. Stay faithful to the call that he's given you. Stay on purpose with what he's done in your life and is doing in your life. In Luke 16, 10, it says that he who is faithful in very little thing also is faithful in much. And in Matthew 25, it says, well done. You are faithful with a few things, and I'll put you in charge of many things. See, faithfulness can be disrupted by a few different things. Faithfulness can get bumped off the track. And although there's a lot of them out there, there's a few that I want to highlight this morning. And one of them is this, is that fear can knock you off the path of faithfulness. You can have fear of failure. Like, what if I actually do this and I collapse and fail? Everybody's going to see me 
break down. Everyone's going to see me have this failure in my life. And that can be embarrassing. See, this fear of failure. What about a fear of success? What if I do this thing and it actually works? Whoa. I don't know. Do I really want that? Because when you get the thing and it actually works, the fear of the success can lead to a place where I don't know if I can handle the pressure of what that success is going to bring. I don't know if I can handle the the additional responsibilities that that success is going to bring me in my life. People have a fear of failure. People have a fear of success. Fear can cause you to pull back from being faithful to the thing that God has called you to do. Another one is, is comparison. Comparison. When you start to look to the left and to the right to compare yourself and your progress to others, you start to understand, well, maybe I'm a little better than them and less than them, and I'm not sure what I'm going to do here or here. And I'm just telling you that comparison can bump you off of the track of being faithful. I can't do it as good as that guy, or I'm better than that one, right? The last one is distraction. I have so much going on, I can't stay focused on this thing. Is your plate too full? Last week we said this, but if the devil can't make you bad, he'll just make you busy. Have you gotten so busy in life that you've neglected the things that God has called you to? Has your faithfulness to God's mission in your life fallen back because of the distraction, because your plate is too full? So I recently read about an old man walking the beach at dawn. And he noticed a young man ahead of him picking up starfish and flinging him into the sea. See, the tide had come back out and the starfish were stranded on the beach. The young man's walking along, grabbing starfish, chucking them back in the sea, grabbing them, chucking them back in the sea. And the old man catches up to him and says, son, what are you doing? He's like, well, these starfish, they're going to die. As soon as the morning sun get, hits them, they're just going to they're gonna, they're gonna die here. I'm trying to just throw them back in the sea to try to help them live. The old man says, son, there's miles and miles of beach. There's starfish everywhere. You're not going to get it. You, you, can't, you can't save them. You can't save them all. How can your effort even make a difference? And the young man looked at the starfish in his hand and he threw it safely into the waves. He says, it mattered to that one. It mattered to that one. Listen, you might feel like the call of God in your life is a little small. You might think your capacity is bigger. Maybe the, the purpose that's right in front of you Listen, I don't want you to get discouraged by the purpose God has put in front of you when you look at the big picture. I want you to understand that that you are making a difference in the life of another person now. You can't save the whole world. You You can't help the whole world, but you can help one person's world. You can help one person's world. One starfish at a time. Your life makes a difference. It makes a difference to that one. Dads, your life makes a difference to your kids. Growing up in a culture that has a fatherless generation coming up right now, they have an absence of father figures in their life. Man, I want to encourage you. Let's be that active father figure. Can you add one more? Can you reach out to someone else who doesn't have a father figure? Your purpose might be just to mentor one young man, one young lady. Sure, you can't change the whole world, but you can change that one person's world. Will you stand with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you so much for the calling that you've put on our life. God, we thank you so much that that you were faithful. God, you are greater than Moses. And if Moses is considered one of the best men to walk the earth, God, Jesus, you are even greater than that. And so we worship you because of that. You are a good, good God and a good, good Father. 
So God, I pray as we leave this place, let us be faithful to what you put into our hand today. Let us be faithful. Let us not get distracted. Let us not get discouraged. Let us not get a, become afraid. God, I just pray that you would bless the people that are here today, that they would um, stay faithful to the cause that you have put in their life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We have root beer floats out there. And uh, let's sing one last song before we leave. Father's Day.